Hey, this is Jack. Welcome back to Beer and Company. This week we're joined by Adrian at the Belleville Brewing Company in Ballam in South London. Um, this time around, I was sitting in his in his in his brew tap room where I'd, I'd like to say he was sitting inside, but it was kind of outside as well. If you go visit, it's kind of like a got the entire outside facing wall open to the air. I mean, they they probably have shutters that they can pull down at the end of the night. But when I was sitting in there, you basically had a whole empty wall there, um, which was facing the outside. And it was all right, because even though I'm bringing the fact to you in March, it, I did it in the middle of like the end of the summer, maybe the start of a quite a warm autumn, maybe towards the end of autumn. But it was still super warm. And we were kind of sitting outside. But you will find that sometimes trains go by and um, the ambient sound is picked up and you might be able to pick that up. Uh, Try to remove it a little bit, but hopefully it adds a little bit of atmosphere to it. It doesn't seem to get in the way too much. So that's okay. Um, you should have noticed by now in the other episodes that when I go to one of these interviews, I, I do have a plan. I've done a bit of research, read about the guys, and might have talked to them in beforehand. Um, got an idea of what I want to talk to them about. But if I'm completely honest, if it goes off on a tangent, I'm totally okay with that. And I, I don't know how long it's going to be. Sometimes they're 30 minutes long, and sometimes they reach out to be about 40 minutes. This one, This one's close to an hour. And we just sat there chatting away about hops and... I, I believe in the podcast they let know that um, Belleville Brewing Company tries to use American hops at all times. Um, so, you know, when you've got this sort of um, drought season or if you've got a high demand for, for hops that come from America, like your Centennials or your Citrus, and heck, I'm probably getting these wrong because I'm no brewer. Um, but, you know, there's the Yakima Valley up in Washington or Oregon and North North America. And, um, and sometimes supply and demand makes the price of those hops go up and down and it's just a bit interesting talking to Adrian about how they get by and how that affects their business. We also, um, I also make a bit of a tip, tip of myself because before he became a brewer, Adrian was a musician. He still is a musician, obviously a fan of music and he grew up a little bit, he's a little bit older than me and he grew up during the period of the punks coming out and I don't know, I've, I might have mentioned in past episodes I like to relate music to 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 to, to beer and the sort of parallels that they can bring. And uh, and I mentioned sort of punk music, and to be honest, Adrian takes me down a peg. He, he definitely teaches me a lesson or two, and uh, I completely agree with what he said later in the episode about um, about the idea of what punk was when it came out. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, he basically taught me something. I completely agree with what he said. Uh, essentially, I, I made a... I made a bit of a mistake using the wrong type of genre of music for my example that I used, but needless to say, the the concepts there when I'm making it, just try to take um take what I say with a pinch of salt. Agency expert, after all. Anyway, like I hope you enjoy the episode. It was a real nice time to spend time with um Adrian. He's got a really good brewery rocking it, and um some really talented people behind the behind the scenes in it all. Hope you listen in. Hope you enjoy it, and um I'll catch you at the end. Cheers. <laughs> This is Beer and Company. Recording here, and um, yeah, so welcome to Beer and Company. It's um, Jack, and I'm joined here with Adrian from a uh, Belleville Brewery Com- Brewing Company. Hello. Hi there. Can you hear yourself there? I can. Yeah. Brilliant. We've got the uh, 
old recording working properly. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for having me today. Um, I know you're a really busy person. Everyone I've spoken to so far said that you're super busy. Mm. So thanks for having the time. Um, I suppose like the first thing I like to cover when I'm doing any of these things is I like to hear about the origin stories of the breweries because you know they, they're usually like a startup story. And if I was to talk to a larger brewery, like from a historical one, like Marston's or something, there's so much history there. It's also quite interesting to hear about. So, what well, you guys have been operating for five years? We're just coming up to year five. Yeah, we. I mean, in terms of brewing, from I think we started January twenty sixth or something like that in two thousand thirteen. Right. So yeah, just starting to come up to the five year mark. And that was um, brewing here. You mean like commercially brewing? Yes. I mean, we started uh, brewing with a five barrel kit. Um, uh, as I said in January 2013 and then last year last May, June we put in a new 15 barrel kit right. from um, ABE in the States so um, and in actual fact that sort of those, that early kit I mean I'd seen it being used um, several other breweries funny enough all around South West London have got the same kit right so um, and uh, and it was just it, it was good it was good basic kit, and one of the wonderful things about it was that because it didn't actually do an awful lot, you had to find ways of, <laughs> of, of trying to make up for its for its um, shortfalls. And so it was a great, you know, it's a great introduction to brewing, really. Um, I mean, before that, I'd just brewed on a 19 litre home kit. Right. Yeah. We've still got it, and I think it cost me about 150 pounds. Um, so that's how basic it was. So it was quite obviously a jump up and a huge learning curve. Um, as I think all equipment is. I mean, we are now at a point where we've got probably as advanced a brewery as it's possible to have um, while still staying, you know, sort of smallish. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're just about to buy a centrifuge and very few breweries of this size right, yeah. centrifuges. So we have the, you know, the Browcon Hop Gun and very few breweries have that. I don't even know what that is. I think the Browcon Hop Gun is, is a sort of vessel that sort of looks like a rocket. The way it works is that you spin beer in from the fermenter right. into the outside um, uh, cylinder and uh, you put your hops in the outside cylinder and what happens is that the, the action of bringing the beer in and pumping it in and, and straight back out to the fermenter um, has the um, effect of breaking down the hop and once it's broken down enough it goes through the uh, a central a, a central um, a, a central um, sieved um, element and, and, and when it's small enough when the hop element when the hop particles are small enough they return to the fermenter so it's, an, it's a good easy way of A getting more bang for your buck and mm. making sure that the hops that you use obviously the pellets um, don't oh, yeah. will sink to the bottom of the cylindroconical fermenter um, and just sit there and do nothing it keeps it moving around so all the flavour comes out of it yes exactly and it, and it breaks it up and obviously we the way in which we, we use it is that we, we the return is on the raised inlet um, the, the, the raised racking arm so it's being shot back up into the top of the fermenter right um, so um, it's, it's been very useful it's been very it's been a great thing to have and especially with you know with hop prices getting the way they are with the fact that we only use American hops mm -hmm. um, it, it's been an absolute godsend you know I don't think anyone quite understands what an absolute war it is out there in terms of the hop world well, I've heard it, I've heard it, I think on the first podcast we spoke to um, North Brewing Company and they were saying how like, you know, part of the art or part of the skill of a very good brewer is being able to see what they've got 
available to them in terms of let's say hops the ingredients that you can get hold of yeah. and then making something consistently sell the same sort of taste of a beer even though you might have a slightly different range of hops one week to the next because you can't get yeah, hold of them I, mean, I, think, I, I think you can do that to a certain extent I mean obviously you know a brewery like the Colonel um, one of its USPs is that it uses a hop and, and, and single hops with it and right. so it's um, you know brewing the, or rather drinking their beers is, is almost a lesson in, in hops and, and, oh. you know, and their aroma and their bitterness uh, and all the other factors that go into it. So it's rather wonderful when you pick up, I don't know, an Equinox Pale Ale and then you go, okay, I get what Equinox I know what Equinox is tastes like, yeah. yeah. That's how I felt with yeah. Adnan's Mosaic is a yes, good example exactly. of that. That's Just exactly it. Heavy so I, I, think, I think that's a good idea. We, we would prefer not to do that. We, I, I think there's more fun to be had from mixing hops. Having said that, Although I think that when you've got your little five-barrel kit or whatever, um, you can afford to mix and match. Mm-hmm. For us at the moment, it's much more about consistency. So, you know, if we say we use these hops, we yeah. use these hops. Yeah. So it's very important in terms of, you know, our hop contract that we get exactly what it is that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of ways of getting hops. You know, you can deal direct to the States. You can deal through various other hop factors where maybe the price has increased, but you don't have to have a contract. Uh-huh. But the easiest way of doing it is to find a hop factor that you like, get your contract sorted out. We're even buying two and three years ahead at the moment. Right, yeah. Um, and then hopefully, if they're a good hop factor... Um, and they've got some muscle, which actually is sort of the most important thing, then, you, you know, you should actually get what you need. Um, and, you know, at the moment, you've got those three big ones, Simcoe, Mosaic, and Citra. Right. And because they're pro- proprietorial hops, you know, the breeding program that made them controls how much is made. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so they're always going to be in high demand. Having, you know, you want Cascade and Centennial, it's really, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to get a hold of. But obviously... The thing about the the American hops is that they were doing, they were putting money and time and effort into hop breeding when we were doing nothing. You mm-hmm. know, during the dark days of the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, when British beer was at an all time low, um, we were doing nothing. Um, and it doesn't help that you know our hop farms, uh, mostly being certainly the ones in Kent, mostly being ripped up. I mean, I, I, I don't right. think there's any hop. I mean. I, what what hop farms there are left in Kent are sort of model hop farms. Oh yeah. You know, most of our hops now, I think most of them are, are, are grown in Herefordshire. Um, so I think that you know it do, it doesn't help that we. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting that 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 we're starting now to get back on. There are new hops coming through like Jester, and and there are several others. But you know, at the moment there isn't a hop say like Citra. You know, there isn't a UK yeah. hop. There isn't a German hop like Citra. You know, there isn't a French or a Japanese hop or a Czech hop like Simcoe. They're just way ahead of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's why we use them. You know, we, you know, there, there is this holy grail that you're always looking for the next sort of, you know, aroma and taste sensation um, as evidenced, you know, by what, you know, companies like Cloudwater are doing yeah. or, you know... Um, you know, and, and Bibliotech in, um, or Bibliotech or whatever they're called, in, um, in Sweden, um, and the rise of sort of things like New England IPAs. What, what are uh, Cloudwater doing? I'm not well, I think what's interesting about them is, you know, I, th- I think there's a huge amount of hype involved, but the great thing about them, you know, <laughs> they, they, they produce a beer, a really great beer, and 
there's a certain amount of hype around it and, and it sells it sells yeah. and in seconds you know um, and and it's it's great it's almost like every I mean they specialise in, in, in double IPAs and every um, every release is, is sort of a, a different beast yeah and the thing nowadays with a lot of craft beer fans is that they're they're what I call beer tickers. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I you've got your list of beers, yeah. and you've got, oh, I've got another one I've never had before. Exactly. Yeah. Let's let's t- tick that off the list. And you know, I think it's it's great. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily know that you can make a business of that. You make a business out of producing good quality beers that people want to drink time and time again. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why companies like Camden and Meantime get sold. Yes, it's because they produce beers that people say, okay, I'm going to go down the pub and drink five pints of Camden Pale Ale, or I'm going to go and drink five pints of London Lager. Yeah, because that's like, like that. my baseline, that's the, 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 the drink I'm willing to have. And person who's like, you know, quite quite adamant about drinking something like Camden Pale or Camden yeah. Hells, they are, they're probably not going to be looking for a Cronenberg or a Foster's or a Carling, because they're at this point where they go, actually, this is a beer that I want to drink, mm. and I'm happy and comfortable in this area. I, I think, I think you know, it's funny because we, we have this craft beer revolution in this country, but actually it doesn't run that deep. I'm mm-hmm. still coming up, I'm still coming across people, whenever I do beer tastings, and we do a lot of them, yeah. I, I still come across people who say, oh, I only drink lager. Yeah. You know, or um, I like pale ales, but IPAs I find a bit too hoppy, or I don't like dark beers. And so, you know, I, I think it's, I mean, it's truly amazing what has happened with the craft beer revolution. But you shouldn't let it cloud the fact that um, most people, most people, mm-hmm. um, certainly in this country, want to find a beer that they can drink and drink time and time again, and it'll be the same time and time again. Yeah. You know, they may go to a beer shop and spend, you know, a tenner on two cans of beer, which sometimes I've, I've, I've been <laughs> known to do. I mean, go to that. Um, but but most of the time they're going to want that sort of go to beer mm-hmm. that they that they have all the time and and so the market uh, and the beer world at the moment is in, I think is in a really interesting position because we have those producers who produce the sort of weird and wacky and you know we do as well but I mean we you know it, 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 it's far outweighed by the amount of say London Steam Lager or the amount of Picnic Session IPA yeah. or the amount of Common Side Pale Ale that we produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that um, is only going to um, that's only going to get stronger. That feeling that a, a, a brewer has to produce first and foremost, if they want to survive in this world, they mm-hmm. have to produce beers that people that people really want accessible to beers. Yeah, yeah. You know, not something that they're going to have one of and go, okay, well, I've had that. Now I'll move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. You know. I, um, I, I kind of get. I get what you're saying. So essentially, I mean, you have the market is split in different groups of people who, like you said, the guys who are, I only drink lager or I hate dark ale. People who you know are comfortable where they are and having what they are. And then there's the next group of people who are experimenting and going a little bit further into, uh, let's say, the box ticker territory. And then you have got the pure box ticker territory. Mm. And um, if you've got different breweries or compens- um, providing for different parts of the market. Then, then you have like a nice balanced equilibrium. But at the same time, there is still the least as the next section of the market which is looking for that creativity, looking for the innovation, and they want to try something new every time they've tried in the market, which gives space for these innovative breweries yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to survive, absolutely. which wouldn't have happened in the seventies, perhaps. No, well, I mean, definitely, I mean, nothing. <laughs> I wasn't alive in the seventies. No, so. <laughs> absolutely, it was a dark time. Um, 
I, I, yeah, I mean, there, there is a space for everyone. I think, though, that with the proliferation of breweries now, that there is also, um, it, it's going to be survival of the fittest. And mm -hmm. you can see which breweries are gearing up for that and which ones aren't. Yeah. Um, and which ones will survive and which ones just won't get market share. It, it, it's, it's, it's quite difficult out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that, you know, the, the consumer doesn't necessarily see it. Although, having said that, um, you know, I think the very fact that we've gone over the £5 mark for a pint yes. um, is pointing to the fact that um, that uh, end users, and by that I mean bars, restaurants, pubs, you know, need to make, uh, I mean, they need to make more money from their beer to survive, especially those that are tied. Um, but also that the consumers should be willing in some respects to pay more for certain yeah. beers. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, if, if, if I go to, you know, if I go down to the sort of local news agents, I suppose I've got into, a, you know, I've got into a habit now of, of seeing beers around the one pound 10, one pound 20 for, yeah. for a 500 mil. You just can't produce, I mean, you, you'd just die if you tried to, mm -hmm. to, 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 to compete with those kind of prices. Um, I don't know anyone that can do that, and, and I have no desire to whatsoever. No. But but having said that, craft beer will have to get closer. I don't think that, that there will come a time where a person doesn't expect to pay two pounds fifty for a three thirty mil can mm -hmm. or bottle uh, of in the craft off beer. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> in a pub or restaurant, they will. But you know, I, I, as I said, I think I think it's a really interesting time. I think the next four or five years will be, you know, the, the maturing of the craft beer industry in this country um, is, is going to be a really interesting yeah. time. I think it's interesting because, oh, what you said was interesting, but like um, on that point you're saying about people being willing to pay more for a different type of product, because I think in history we've looked at beer and cask and cake on this scale of okay, I'm used to paying more for a Peroni than I am for paying Cronenberg, I'm, I'm used to paying more for a cake than I am a cask. However, People still get this hang up of paying. If you spend more than five pound on beer, I mean, I had a, a pint five ninety five yesterday, and I mean, I live in Southwest London. It's what I think it was. Uh, it was a Beaver Town, Beaver Town Neck Oil, mm. and I'm actually used to that. I'm, I'm I'm expecting that. And when I put my pocket, in, put my hand in my pocket to do that, I think, look, I'm paying into something that is um, a smaller production. Their economies are smaller than uh, the likes of a, a large large multinational brewery and so paying that much money is that okay and i think for me obviously it was because i've done it twice in probably two weeks um and but when you look at whiskey in a shop or in a you know, let's say any pub bar or whatever um you can buy a bottle of jack daniels for let's say 12 15 pound or something but for the same amount of literage of like a an 18 year old glen Fittich, it's substantially higher yeah, yeah however people are happy to pay for that because they understand that the quality is there and the amount of effort has been put in that the ingredients are different and yeah i think that i think i mean i i think that you know in, in terms of the offerings out there i think that people do realize i hope they realize the um, the the amount of the, the quality of the the ingredients that go into mm -hmm. craft beers you know we use warm instant malt i'm I, i'm pretty convinced i think it's the best malt in the world are they grown on the east coast of the united kingdom that... No, they're mostly all grown in uh, on the uh, in the west. In... Yeah. Okay, cool. um, in the southwest. Um, you know, as I said before, the, the the hops that we use, you know, are I hope you know the best quality hops that we can get, and and the, you know, there's obviously a transportation cost coming over yeah. from the states. So um, 
I, I think that most people, I, I think that most people ordering a, a pint of neck oil or whatever, um, that they, they do, they do at the moment, uh, or, or rather they are happy at the moment to pay that six pounds. I yeah. think there will come a time when they're not. Okay. Um, I think there will come a time, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that, um, that a that a four point four percent beer should or whatever neck oil is. I mean, I yeah, know session IPA is is four point four, but I don't really think that. Um, I mean, you, you know, you're talking to someone who turns fifty five in a couple of weeks' time, so you know, I grew up, I grew up with pints being two fifty, something <laughs> less than that. Um, you so, can get riddles for two one pound ninety nine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I, 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 I think there's a, I think there is a limit. I mean, I always thought the limit was five pounds, and obviously in, in London it's been British. Mm-hmm. But I, I do know people that that bork are paying more than five for. A I pint. don't know if I'd pay. I don't think I'd buy seven pints in a night at that price. Well, that's the point. But then so, you know, I think the thing about something like neck oil is. I don't know if you want to drink seven pints. No, it's of that, true. Right? You I won't taste it properly. I think after. it's a brilliant beer, but you know, it's uh, what I think is sort of wonderful about the whole craze for sour beers. And mm. I'm not necessarily sure that many people in this country do them very well. Um, but one of the things I love about it is that you can, you know, possibly drink three or four hoppy beers and then drink a great sour <laughs> beer like a Cantillon or something, and then suddenly it refreshes your palate and you're, you're, you're remarkable, back on isn't it? Yeah, it's like a magic trick. Exactly, it's brilliant. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people don't respect sour beers for that element of it because you know sour is it's a difficult flavor, it's a complex flavor to yeah. get into, and I think only the very purists, enthusiasts of the beer world would. I think there's several things about sours, to be honest. I mean, I tried to do two on our on our pilot kit, on our 90-litre kit, and, and failed abysmally. You didn't times. ruin your brewery, did you? Um, no, you no, hear no, about no, breweries? Kept, kept it well away from that. Um, but I think the only thing I will say about sours is that those people that produce them uh, almost exclusively produce them. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that they work is because they're able to blend. So you, you have companies like sort of New Belgium Brewing Company, in Colorado, in the States, you've got Allagash in Maine. They are essentially Belgian breweries that just happen to be in the States. Right. Okay. But the way in which they treat um, sours is that they will, you know, they brew a sour and then they'll keep it in the further or something and then they'll blend it. And then, you know, that's that's the art of sours. You know, you look at Duggars, the, the Swedish company, you know, again, you know, they're really good, but pretty much all they do is sours. Right. I don't necessarily, I, I mean, although, you know, Berliner Weiss is kind of the, the sort of, He's not German friends, it's sort of kindergarten version of, of sours. <laughs> I and I have had some very good ones, um, both you know, both English and American. But um, I don't think that um, I don't think that you can produce good sours without almost your whole brewery being yeah. devoted to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, but I love them, and as I said, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Cantillon. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm not really touched on topic of sours, but you you did touch on um you touched on a topic of like a being willing to pay for a high alcohol beer, a you know, high pay premium for it. However, there is a rise of um with big drop big drop brewery, for example, the rise of zero alcohol beers mm. is becoming more and more prominent. You've got the big breweries that are releasing one every five minutes, but the process of producing that takes more energy. It's it. It's hard to get it right. You know, I mean, Charlie Banforth said a very interesting thing. He said, "Don't knock, you know, don't knock American lagers." And I suppose when I talk about American lagers, I'm talking about the, you know, the Miller Coors. Yeah, okay. Hold on, on. who's Charlie Banforth? Charlie Banforth is a professor of brewing 
who uh, used to work, I think, here for Charrington Bass and then moved. Oh. He's now a professor at UC Davis in the, in the States. Right. Okay. And, he, and he said, don't knock them because there's nothing to hide behind. You know, if you don't get it right, it, everyone will know. Right, okay. Um, it's not as though you've got loads of hops to, to hide behind. It's not as though you've got loads of other flavours to hide behind. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Um, so I think that that holy grail of producing thanks to HMRC that 2.8% beer right um, which is going to bring you uh, you know under, underneath um, or, or within the the, um, the the low alcohol uh, bandwidth for, for it's a, it's like a tax duty thing isn't it yeah. yeah that is that is sort of you know that is the holy grail I mean there's a there's a few companies in Germany doing it obviously and if I thought that it was something that I could do well, it's probably something that we would do. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't really feel the need to do it with a an ale, and it's certainly not a um, a dry hop tail. And so, if you're going to do it, you really want to do it with something like a lager. And you really have to you really have to know your stuff. And I'm not sure that I'm not sure that we have the wherewithal. I mean, we have we have great fun producing London Steam Lager, and it's pretty much our our biggest yeah. seller. And we've got it down to a T. But trying to produce a 2.8% beer that tastes good, yep. that and especially a 2.8% lager, that that's hard work. Mm-hmm. That really is hard work. There's, as I said, there's a couple. I think Nissenau is one in, in Germany. There are a couple of companies that do it and and, and do it well. Um, but it but, but it needs a huge amount of research yeah. devoted to it. I think it's a it'll be a growing. I think it'll be a growing category with the rise of like. The, the Gen Z who do not drink, you know, the, the one, one quarter of Gen Zs don't drink alcohol. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a growing trend to to try to increase those efficiencies, make it applicable for anybody who wants to have non-alcoholic to actually enjoy their drink while they're out with their friends. Yeah, I mean, well, there's something to be said that if you don't, you don't want to drink alcohol, don't drink beer, you know. Well, I, I, the thing is, I really like beer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So if I was driving that night, I would like the idea of having a non-alcohol beer mm. because I want to enjoy a beer, you know. And I know there's a place in my heart for it, and as a consumer, I'd pay for it. But yeah, I mean, as I said, I think, I think, I think it, it is, it is, um, and it's fast becoming the holy grail. You know, you're seeing ABVs in the states starting to drop, mm-hmm. and I never thought I'd see that. You're starting to yeah, see, right. obviously. You know, uh, I mean, most most German beers are sort of between the four and six percent mark, mm-hmm. um, and now you're starting to see that happen there. So the, there definitely is, there definitely is a market for it. Um, I think from a brewer's perspective, um, it's whether you can do it well. And I certainly know a couple of brewers who've tried it, even with 2.8% ales and failed abysmally. Yeah. You know, there's, a, there's, an, a, there's an awful lot more to it than mm-hmm. just calculating your grain bill and going, I can find this will render beer. Or boiling it off or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. So I, I'm interested to find out how any startup begins their business. So. Were you a brewer, were you like a brewer working in the pub and bar industry before you got into this? No, I was a musician. I wrote film and TV music, and I used to play in a couple of bands. Oh well, wow. <laughs> that's what I did. Um, but I got the bug after organising a beer festival for my son's school, um, and I suppose I got the bug because I was amazed at what had happened uh, to the beer industry or the brewing industry in this country since I left Sussex since I've come to London. When, right. I, when I lived in Sussex, you had your choice of two beers. You either drank Harvey's or you drank King and Barnes. Okay, yeah. And that was pretty much it. And, and obviously, you know, since, since leaving, 
you know, various breweries have cropped up, um, Dark Star and Pilgrim and Langham's and, um, you know, Surrey Hills and Hogsback and Amapot. And I mean, the list is endless. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the voyage down there to collect beers for this beer festival was a real opener. I started home brewing. And then when we had a second beer festival, I put my beers in under a different name and, and a few dads who I know and like came up and said, you know, what's this? This is really good stuff. <laughs> I said, well, this is mine. And they're all CFOs or they work in the city or they're in finance. And they right. just said, well, let's do something. So actually, it was really very simple. I got a bunch of really nice dads together mm-hmm. whose opinion uh, opinions I, I, I cherish and whose knowledge I cherish. Right. We all put you know, five or six grand in and, you know, 60 grand bought us the brewery <laughs> rent deposit and, and, and some casts and, and that's how it started. And, and so it was, I mean, apart from the fact that obviously I was, I was sort of working by myself and then actually for the first three or four months I was actually working on two films. Good so question. that made it quite difficult. It meant I was brewing on weekends or in evenings. Um, but, but actually it was, it was fairly painless. Um, and those first two or three years, really, especially on the five barricade, I sort of I sort of see them as a genesis. I mean, you know, we didn't come out of the traps, you know, in 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 you know firing on all cylinders. You know, we we definitely that that three years was definitely for us a gestation period. It was a chance to try out lots of different beers. You know, we try we brewed um, a bacon stout. First brew of it flew out. I couldn't stop it flying out. <laughs> You've got to explain that a little bit. So obviously, I know what a stout is. So how did you get the bacon? So we grilled the bacon, right, and we uh, dried it out with as much oil as possible, crumbled it all up, and put it in a. Oh right, tank. simple as that. Yeah, yeah. Simple as that. It's almost like you use it as a tea, and from yes, yeah, like... and we do that. I mean, to Sands, you know, the, 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 the sort of teas, we do that a lot. We do it with, you know, Times Square is our herb and citrus saison. I've and had all that. The, although there's a certain amount of. Um, the herbs and citrus goes into the boil. If you put too much in at that point, you get that sort of cooked effect. So right. really what you want to do is introduce it in the conditioning tank after fermentation. Okay. You get a much cleaner and, and a more vibrant um, uh, effect from it. So, um, but yeah, the bacon went into the conditioning tank and I suppose what you got from it was a sort of smokiness and a saltiness. Two things that actually are quite nice in beer. You know, yeah, um, if you look at, you know, a Goza or if you look at, you know, a Rausch beer, they both have those elements in them. So actually it worked quite well. So, you know, those first, you know, we, we used to produce a, a wonderful pumpkin beer, which on the old system had me, you know, roasting 10 pumpkins. Well, it wasn't too bad, <laughs> but on the new system would have me roasting upwards of nearly 40. Right, yeah, so sure. it's just, it's just not doable. You know, we had an elderflower beer that was two bags, two carrier bags of elderflower. Now in the new system, it's seven bags of elderflower, right. and I haven't got time to go and collect seven bags of elderflower. <laughs> so a, a lot of we had a lot of fun producing lots of different beers, but you sort of you 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 hone your range in a way. You create beers maybe where there are gaps in your range, and then you get to a point I think, or we have, where after sort of three years, we were really happy with with what we've got, and we are really happy with what we've got. Mm-hmm. We bring seasonals in when we can or when we want to. You know, just recently we've done two contract beers for pub companies, um, and they've been great fun to do. Um, but um, you know, we, the new brewery that went in last year, is all is a, is at full capacity. Um, so I mean, we're looking at, 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 at growing again, and right. investing again. So um, I have to say, and in, and in terms of money, we're just very lucky. You know, um, I can't say that. 
where we are in Balam is the hippest place in the, on the planet. Uh, but one thing it does have is uh, is a lot of very affluent um, dads. Yes. And uh, when we did the second um, investment um, run last, well, no, it's almost two years ago now, uh, we made the 400,000 in a couple of weeks. Jesus, good work. Um, yeah. You know, there are... You know, a lot of entrepreneurs in the area. Yeah. There's a lot of, as I said, there's a lot of guys who, who work and girls who work in the city. So um, we we never really we we've never really suffered from not having money. Mm-hmm. Sounds a terrible thing to say and conceited thing to say. But the, the the truth is that where we are and who we are, um, you know, we are not a Hoxton stroke. Um, you know, Hackney Hacks, Brewery. Yeah, we're, we're not here. we're not with the cool guys. Um, I suppose, really, you could say that we're much more of a sort of, you know, full, pure stroke, mean time stroke Camden. Right. Um, and I don't have a problem with that. You know, that's who we are. We are a bunch of, you know, 50-year-old, you know, dads. Mm-hmm. And, and we come at it from that, that point. Um, and it, but it's not a bad idea. It's not a bad place to come from. No, of course not, no. Nice. So, um, you know, and the, the brand itself... Which we've worked, you know, very hard on with our designers is is a is a mature brand. It's it's. I mean, I don't want to use, I don't want to, oh, hello. Um, I don't want to use the word classy because that that implicates all other, that that implies lots of other things. But I think, but but, but it is it, it's a mature and it's a it's, it looks like a premium brand. Yes. And we like that. You I'd know, agree. Not with that. Saying, we've got no cartoons on our on our cans. Um, uh, some, sometimes when I'd quite like to have a cartoon, but we don't have cartoons <laughs> on the cans. You know, we have a small amount of colour, and the can is mostly white. I think black. that the, there's a space for it. In the same sense, like I said, there's different beers for different people. There is a space yeah. in a craft market for all different types of um, design and style and stylisms. Because yeah. we, we can't all... There, there is a danger, I think, in the craft scene of appealing only to a very niche group of people which if you don't identify with, then you'll maybe not identify with drinking that drink and not accessing Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say that, I mean, it's, it's funny. I've, I've done a few stints for, for James Hickson and We Brought Beer um, working in the shop. And when I do that, I obviously don't announce the fact I'm from Belleville, but it's no. really interesting to see who comes in and the type of customer that comes in. Obviously, most of them are sort of within the 25 to 40 age group. And then every so often, you get someone coming in, and they'll say, you know, what, what lagers have you got? And then look at the prices and go, oh, my God, that's expensive. <laughs> I, can get, I can get Peroni for a quid a can or whatever. <laughs> um, so, so but, but having said that, I do think that craft beer is, is creeping north in terms of age. Very slowly, mm-hmm. um, you know, our local rugby club won't won't stock us because we're just, you know, we don't produce anything under four percent, and you know, they, they, and and people consider them to be either too hoppy or too this or too that. Um, and I never wanted to produce, uh, you know, three three point six percent bitter. No. You know, I let other people around this area do that, and there are plenty of them. Um, and why why produce something like that in the heart of you know in in, right, in exactly. the young's heartland? You know they've they've been doing the same you know that job for, you know four hundred odd years. Or <laughs> so so um, so you know we don't produce those kind of beers. But I, I do think that you know very gradually, very gradually that um, that older people are getting into craft beer. Uh, you know it, it, it takes its time because. 
you know, in this country particularly, we are, we're what I call guzzlers. You know, beer was a, was a drink that you drank an awful lot of Absolutely, during the day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kids were drinking it, let's face it. <laughs> um, so so we, we haven't grown up. I mean, you know, I'm always amazed when, you know, you know, when I hear of people going over to Belgium getting absolutely hammered, um, you know, after the sort of fifth or sixth um, bottle. And you go, well, that's not the way they drink Of course it. not, no. You know, they'll, they'll maybe drink two or three bottles over the course of a whole evening, mm-hmm. you know, with a meal and, and, you know, enjoy, you know, each sip. Whereas, you know, I grew up, you know, playing rugby and, you know, as far as the... As far as I was concerned, when the match was over, you needed to drink, you know, f- as many sink as you four can. pints as quickly as you possibly could. <laughs> um, uh, those were in the days before water bottles or anything like that. Um, but you need to be rehydrated, but right? But you need so. to be rehydrated, and you know, and that's you know, uh, and that's that's what beer has always done in this country, you know. Um, but I do think, you know, I do think things are changing. I do think, I think, I think there's several things. I think that. I think that you've got more people willing to drink stronger beers, more people willing to drink uh, weirder beers, um, and more people um, sort of looking for something new and interesting. Yeah. Um, just as just as much as you know, just as you know, in the nineties with the whole revolution in chefing in this country. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I think chefing. Chefing, as chefing. in being a chef. Um, but making um, food, right, sorry. You know, we're, we're seconds away from where sort of Marco, Pierre, White and right, Gordon yeah. Ramsay honed their skills. And I think that, I think that, you know, cooking had got to a point or got to a point in the 90s where it started to really lift off with sort of molecular gastronomy happening mm-hmm. and with um, sort of new ways of producing Food and and and, um, and of cooking food, you know, sous vide and things like that. Although obviously it's been around for years, so I, I and, and I sort of equate what happened from I guess two thousand and five to two thousand. Well, it's still going. Yeah. To what happened during the nineties during during the nineteen nineties um, with 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 cooking and with restauranting mm. um, in, in this well, not just in this country actually. I mean, again, that was a worldwide phenomenon. You know, you you, you know you've got um, you know with the French Laundry in uh, in the Napa Valley. You've got you know um, El Bulli in Spain. You've mm-hmm. got you know all the obviously all the, the great French restaurants, and you've got you know here you know the Fat Duck and. Of course, and, yeah, uh, and others, and they've been so, celebrated all the time with shows like the uh, Chef's Table. Yeah, I think I think that I think that what will be interesting to see is whether um, this country can produce um, the sort of celebrity brewers that you've got in the states. I mean, right. you know, in the states, people like Sam Calagione are, are household names within the craft brewing world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Greg Cook uh, from from Stone, you know, Matt Brilson from Firestone. Well, the, you know, there's, there are some quite there are some quite big. You know, Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn. There are some quite big sure. figures. And I suppose what would be fun is, and I think certainly what would what would help craft brewing in this country is to throw up some of those figures, like Logan from you know Beaver Town. Right. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah. Um, so maybe I, Jasper from Camden. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I, th- I think you know I, I would love to see I would love to see a show on mainstream TV 
about brewing. So would I. Here. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, it, as I said, because the last few years and the next, I think, next five years are going to be really interesting in this country as to what, as to what happens and how it goes and whether craft brewing becomes mainstream or whether it stays a sort of niche thing. I mean, mm. you know, the, 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 the statistics still in the States are that craft brewing, much as it's obviously gains a huge amount of press only accounts for about 20% of beer sold in the States. It's still massively higher percentage is, than we have here, though. Yeah but, yeah, but the rest of it is the good old three or four, you know... Yeah, um, cause light in your Budweiser's. Exactly, yeah. Fine, yeah. Um, so, and it would be interesting to see whether whether um, here in this country we can sort of buck that. I mean, you know, I think that, that one of the things, and I, I do think it was a, I, I do think that what camera did to start off with was amazing, and I certainly, um, I certainly think that the rebirth of cross of, of, of cask beer yeah. has been a great boom to this country. Um, but I think now, in some respects, camera's done its work. You know, I do see lots and lots of really good quality cask beer all mm-hmm. all around, and I think that probably. You know, in the last five five years, and, and as I said, for the next five, it's the it's the craft beer scene that you'll hear more and more about. Um, I'm my only worry is 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 resting those taps yeah. from the big boys. You know, right. we don't have a system with, like they do in the states. In the states, you know, if you've got distributors, they go in, you can buy a brand. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're not beholden to anyone. You start a bar. Right. You tend to do your own installs. They're you all free houses. Some, There's yeah, no exactly. tide tenancies. Yeah, nothing yeah. with big breweries. So obviously here, you know, I can go into a pub and they'll sort of blindfold yeah. tell you what's on the tap lineup. And very rarely do you see many craft beers, unless obviously it's a real freehold yeah. place. And and so, you know, it would be great to, to see that grip slightly lessened. But I very much doubt the likes of, well, you know who they are, Peroni, Heineken, Amstel, take your pick, yeah. you know. Um, oh, but those, those big brands or the breweries that own them are—they're getting involved in their own small way in the craft space. You know, they, Maltzmith was recently launched by Heineken, which yeah. they, they position as their sort of craft thing, and if more challenging on palate, but can bring more people into that realm of different flavors in the pub and in the beer industry, which is which are really what I think is the craft beer industry trying to get to. That's the fun thing that will happen. I think that if you get, it, I think, and it, it is happening. You know, look at the amount of breweries that you know, um, AB InBev. Have bought up recently. Oh, yes. So I think that I think that it, it, it is happening. I mean, whether they buy them to um, keep them where they want them, as it were, mm-hmm. or buy them to genuinely promote them, yes. is 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 is, is, a, is open to question. But I think that I think that if if the craft beer scene here is going to grow up, that more of that will happen. Yes. You know, you'll see more breweries getting sold. Hopefully, you know, sold for the good of the beer. But, but, but for the good of the beer, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I uh, when you say AB, ABI or AB, AB Bev, yeah, that, that's alluding to Anheuser Busch and Bev. In case mm. people listen, don't know, mm. they're the large brand that owns Stella, Corona, Budweiser, the largest, the largest in the world. Yeah. Not in the UK, though, I don't think, but um, largest in the 
Uh, no, pretty the, much. I mean, they they own everything. You know, they, they <laughs> Come on, a whole heap of brands you've named there. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a company that had to let Mean Time go when they bought Camden. That's right. Um, competition laws, right? So they, they do own a huge amount. You yeah, know, so Heineken have a lot more beer, a lot more beers on your range of taps, I'd say, that you'll find in any pub. Heineken, yeah, Foster's, Cronenberg, yeah. Amstel, Caledonian, Maltzmiths, mm. Lagunitas. Yeah. Um, so, well, yes, you're saying, so Anheuser-Busch, uh, into Bev for and AB and Bev, as we say, oh. and some people even refer to ABI, but it's even more misleading. No, right, okay. um, yeah, so they recently bought Camden about a year ago, and uh, I, I, I honestly, I, I'm still a fan of Camden. To be honest, I, I don't think that the flavour for me has changed. Trying it, I don't even think it's about the flavour. I, I, I'm fed up with the backlash that oh. that, 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 that that companies suffer when they decide to sell to a bigger company. You know, the truth is that we are, you know, we we are here to produce something great. Or I am here to produce good beer. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I want to do. If, because I do that, someone comes along and says, we think the beer is great, we think the brand is great, so we want to buy you, then that's great. The way I see it is often, I might have said it before in this podcast, but um, I like punk rock music. Mm. And a lot of people who like, let's say, alternative music often get a bit frustrated when their favourite band becomes popular and starts selling out Wembley. And I think I understand the emotional tie that you might have. You feel like everybody else likes it, so they must have changed. But what it really kind of means is, as long as they've kept the roots of what they're providing to the market, music they're writing, whatever, if they're selling to Wembley audience-sized audiences, it just means more people are enjoying that music. And if you take that into the beer... And that should be something that we're happy about, something that we should celebrate. More people enjoying the music that I think is awesome. If you take that into the beer element, if you've got like the Camden being bought by ABI, ABI yeah. then Camden is now being probably able to reach out to the likes of outer Europe, into the north of England, from its roots in north, north London. And I remember going to home in Derbyshire. This is shortly after the meantime buyout. And I, I remember someone saying, oh, we've got one of your London beers here. One of your, you know, country one. And I was like, oh, what are they? In the meantime. And I was like, oh, great. No. And in yeah, my head, yeah, I thought, yeah. this is just because it's been bought by, at the time, maybe InBev. Yeah. And it means that they can actually distribute to all these people in the north that I yes. would love to drink that beer. I mean, the analogy is <laughs> not a good one. because Okay. Uh, You're a musician. In, in, in the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not only that, but obviously I'm, I'm old enough to have enjoyed all those, all those, you know, I, I, I was... Going to gigs in seventy six and okay, maybe so, a different brand of punk. So, maybe. so <laughs> the thing about punk, unfortunately, it, 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 it is that it, it was always supposed to be small. It was always okay. supposed to be small. It was always supposed to be amateurish. It was always, you know, so so you know the idea of seeing, um, and and this happened to me. You know, if I if I you know I, I used to go and see the Stranglers and the Clash and nine 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 and the Buzzcocks, and if you saw them in a you know dingy, horribly smelling you know. Uh, pub in North London it, that was a great gig as soon as you, they started playing you know Hammersmith Apollo as it was then called um, <laughs> it, it all stopped being quite as much fun uh-huh, okay. um, so I'm not sure that's nothing but, the, the, but, but in terms of beer you're absolutely right the, 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 if you make a great beer the more people that get to taste it the better it's that simple you know um and, and and I'm with you on that. I mean, I don't think that the, I certainly don't think the quality has has diminished one iota of, of Camden's beers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, 
you know, I think that I think that there is, you know, there, as I said to you before, within the next five years, you'll see more and more of this happening. That there are more and more companies out there that that are starting to look very attractive to the big to the to the to the big guys. After all, you know, the point is that you know we're lucky to make sort of ten percent GDP. You look at you, you know you 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 get bought by another company, they can get to thirty percent just because of the way in which they can produce mm-hmm. um, the the beer. So it's always going to be the case that you, you said GDP. So I was thinking gross domestic product, and I don't think that's what you meant. Sorry, uh, yeah, gross profit. Gross profit, yeah, so, GP, sorry. Yeah, GP. Um, so, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to um, hear the recording now and go, why did I ask that question? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, I, so I think that I think that you're always going to get companies going, oh, that looks, that, mm. that looks nice, that looks attractive, that's a good brand, we could do something with that. That's, I mean, that happens in every single sphere uh, of, um, of commerce in the world. So, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that we should, you know, hate it or, or, or worry about it here, um, as long as... You know that pint that we produce is, or the the pint that they produce is the same pint that we produce. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that I don't think I'd sell my company if that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, too much heart stress. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a very you know, it's, it's been very interesting doing this job because obviously, you know, I'm no spring chicken, and so um, it's and and I'm a family man as well. So um, it's been it's been hard work. This is a very you know it's interesting. You know we're we're always looking for new staff, and the, and I the amount of CVs that I get from people saying oh, I really want to get in the brewing trade. I've been doing weirdly enough an awful lot of music. Well, not musicians, but people who study music technology, or they just work in a bar. Right. And and, and they come here, and you say to them. I've got to tell you, this is a really hard job. This is a physically really demanding job and not just physically. Mm-hmm. You know, you become a sort of time and motion man in that you try and find ways of doing things quicker and easier and better yeah. um, all the time. I'm always questioning the processes that we go through. Can I do this better? Can we get that better? You know, if we do this, then will that be better than that? You know, so... You know, it, it, it's 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 it is a it's I I think it's a very difficult job and made even more difficult by the fact that you know we are trying to sell our beer in a marketplace, especially within the M25, where there's between seventy and eighty breweries, yeah, all vying for 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 time on the taps, as it were. Yeah. Um, now you know we're we're lucky actually, and I, I don't know how we've managed to do it because you know I'm still finding people that live two miles away that have never heard of us. So, um, so we've still got a long way to go in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, you know, marketing, but, um, but we, you know, we have, we've got some, re- we've got great customers. We've got some really great customers mm-hmm. and all the time we are, you know, looking to make new connections. Um, but I think one of the things that's interesting now for me is that we, you know, we, we've grown up in a way and we're no, lo- no, no longer looking for sort of rotational um, relationships. We want permanent lines. Permanent lines, yeah. Um, and that's the only way, really, in which th- that you can prosper. It also means that you can put more time and effort into the relationship. I think that the more support that you can give um, a, a, a landlord or a, a bar manager, the more support you can give them, then the, the, the better he's going to do with the product, the better he's going to feel about the product, um, and ultimately, the better he's going to sell the products as well, which is obviously the most important thing. And and it's getting to the point now where we spend no time on on rotational right. um, uh, um, customers at all. You know, you know that you're going to get an order from them once every six months, and when it happens, you, 
you, you say thank you very much. But ultimately, you know, just just like Camden, just like Meantime, it's about having your brand on the bar all the time. Yeah. And that's really the only way forward. And as I said, it'll be, in the next four or five years, it'll be survival of the fittest. If you can get your brand on those taps, then you'll, you'll, you'll you know, succeed and, and others won't. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, especially talking about how busy you are, you've already been with me longer than we even planned to, so I'm really grateful for that. I'm off to do deliveries, yeah. Right, okay, well, I'll just round it off by yeah, saying, sure. you know, um, if you'd like to explain what's coming up next and how people can get in touch with you, find your beer... Wipe through it quickly if you want. That's we've got great. a website. We've got a tap room. We're which on, we're sitting in right now. Which we're, yep. in, uh, we're on Twitter and Facebook. Um, so all the usual ways. Um, it's my phone number that's on the website. So you'll always get through <laughs> to me. Um, but I mean, the tap room is open on Fridays and Saturdays. On Thursdays, we have fun evenings because we do these. Um, I don't really want to call them private parties, but we uh, f- for £20, we do four pints food and a brewery tour. Oh, cool. And they're always great like fun. And, and it, it's I genuinely always get a kick out of showing the brewery to, to to people and letting them sample out of the fermenters. I think it's great fun. Oh, know? wow. Um, I you think, don't get that everywhere. No, 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 no. We must be mad. Um, but no, and in terms of the brewery, I think we, you know, we, we are going from strength to strength. We do it quite slowly and organically, but we we're very happy with where we are mm-hmm. and 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 the brewery's growing all the time. And as I said, you know, we put in a new 15-barrel plant last year probably at some point next year we'll we'll go up to a 30 barrel that's brilliant well that sounds awesome and I'd like to say thank you for the time and listeners I hope you enjoyed yourself I mean the trains haven't been too loud in the background it's one of the things (laughs) to deal with it's all atmospheric I love it it certainly is (laughs) okay Ricky I'll just close it off now then hey I hope you enjoyed that so that was um, Adrian at uh, Belleville Brewing Company. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, if you did, please um, please subscribe. We'll be bringing these out haphazardly as they go along. Um, and uh, tell your mates about it. Share it on your social media feeds. Or, or just go to the top of a mountaintop and shout all about Beer and Company. If you could do that, that would be great. Now, if you want to send me that video of you shouting at the top of the mountain, um, you can send it to me on Snapchat. My Snapchat handle is... Uh, hold on, let me get it up because I'm, I'm an old bloke now and I don't know all these new kiddie things with social media anyway yeah so my snapchat account is beer and co you can get me on 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 instagram with beer and co podcast and uh, if you want to get me on twitter my my old one that i've been using for years and years and years before i did um started even this doing this podcast is um at pubman jack uh if you if you are an untapped user feel free to get in touch with me on jack warren zero four and if you're interested in a bit of trivia and want to know why there's zero four it's because it was my on my Xbox gamer tag. And before that, it's because everyone else had one, two, and three. I just wanted something a little bit different. Anyway, um, yeah, finally, you can get me on my email address, which is a beerandcopodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't get me there, then go on the website, beerandcopodcast.com, and just go on the contact me page if you want to get in chat, talk to me about something. Be sick to hear from you all. Hope you enjoy it. Next week is Chipsy Hill. We're going to be talking to them about all sorts, um, about the plans for the future. They're just clearing out one of the rooms on the, um, basically the industry estate that they're essentially taking over, over the period of the years that they've been there. They're just growing, growing, growing. We talk about cans. We talk about the economics of using big cans compared to small ones. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So tune in next time we get one. And uh, I don't know when it'll come out. I'm really bad suddenly, really bad at putting these out because I'm doing a full time job and got the you know strains of just living a normal life. So um, sorry about being quite haphazard and not getting out weekly. But when I do get it out, 
if you're subscribed, you'll know about it soon. You'll know about it first. So, wicked. Pick me up late time, yeah? Cheers.